hopefully I can work something out with him. I mean, that's a, that's always the thing I kind of envy about people who do whatever programs they do, like you taking a screenwriting class and stuff like that. It's not, it's not something you're learning that's going to be different than a self-education from books, right? Unless your professor is well-known industry or something like that, it's not like you're going to be getting advice that's really different from anybody else. But having someone look over it that's used to this type of stuff is huge. Like mm. it just saves you so much because especially in like writing, I think it's like the biggest thing. It, uh, it, it just saves you so much lag because he can say something like this isn't clear or cut this part out or this part's unfocused or like even that, like even that simplicity is super helpful to say like this is unfocused. Like you don't even need to be a professor, but like if you can say that it's super helpful. Right. I agree. It, it's, it's really incredible. And it is nice. Of course, so an informed opinion is better than a, non-informed opinion right um yeah, of course but that's the style i write i tend to write the bad part first um and it's, it's certainly one of my weaknesses right now um i tend to get carried away i overwrite and then i need uh to go through rounds of feedback and that's what really makes my work better uh and that's how i'm comfortable working with i'm comfortable working with other people who can tell me um what they think about it and that's sort of how i respond um yeah, I, I just think, yeah. I think everyone needs that. I don't think anybody writes a great first draft of anything or makes a first cut that's amazing when you're starting out because right. you need like you know you need to know what the audiences are thinking so oh exactly and it, I mean it's interesting how some artists can go um, about things I mean once they get enough experience they can build this sort of level of arrogance it feels like I mean um, where they feel as though they don't need to listen to anyone else, that like they, they have a complete control over their material and that's good enough. I mean, um, I, I was just, I remember the Hollywood Reporter interview with Tom Hooper and Ridley Scott. Um, they just had a bunch of directors around the table. Yeah. And this is sort of somewhat unrelated, but it's just about what you make your art for. And I definitely am one to make art for other people. Um, or like, I, of course, it's deeply personal. It's, about me and it's for me to express but who who else is listening right it's other people that are listening um and so tom hooper is like yeah i make movies for other people and ridley scott's like no i only make movies for myself (laughs) fuck people (laughs) i'm just like yo this guy can say that because he's literally made like some of the greatest movies Ridley scott yeah Yeah. wait did i tell you about how he like he listed his top five favorite sci-fi movies of all time and the first two were Alien and Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. And it's that, just like... I, 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 I watched that. Uh, I didn't watch the whole roundtable, but I watched part of that. And I thought that was really funny. Um, <laughs> it was so funny because it's like... I mean, that's arrogant as fuck, but dude, you can... That's a godlike move. Like, you, you can say that. You're allowed to, you know? <laughs> uh, In a way, though, like for me, there's like... I feel like there's a certain... I understand what he's saying to a certain extent because I think for the first draft or when I start anything, I'm always scratching my own itch. And if I feel like I'm, I have to try to figure out um, what the audience kind of wants, then it's very difficult for me. It's like one of those um, things in startups where they say, find the market fit, right? But I'm uh-huh. like, in a way, I'm like terrible at that because uh, I think the best thing, the best way I create products or, you know, write or whatever is to create something that really scratches my itch. And yeah. then figure out like, okay, how can I optimize this for an audience? But like, ne- once you get to the level where you really like it or it scratches your itch, I think it's helpful. Like this whole podcast is just scratching my own itch. I'm not. It was. I'm really like. Um, uh, David said he'd be here at six thirty. Okay. So maybe Classic we can David. Like, 
David know, time. That is so classic, David. Fucking I was kind of I was kind of worried about that. That's why I was like trying to say five thirty. So yeah, that was a good idea. Say. I figured. Yeah. You should. <laughs> but then he was just like, "Okay, I'll be there six and not a minute later." So I was like, "Okay, fine." That sounds <sighs> good. David, David. Oh, <laughs> God. Uh, but uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah. So like this podcast in many ways is just like me scratching my own itch, and then people were just like, "Oh, like that sounds like really interesting and helpful." So they're like, make it something that you, you know, do for other people as well. So I was like, okay. No, that, that's, I think, I think especially, yeah, no, that, that's, that's resonate, re- resonating because I think every concept or idea comes from what I actually want to pursue, but then how I end up doing it, like, when I consider how I want the scenes to be put together or what footage I have to keep in there, it's for the sake of, like, how, how this other people, this audience might understand it or, or take it in, right? Because yeah, if I had my own personal cut, it'd be like, of my past short film, it would have been like fucking 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if, yeah. It, that, if it was for myself. Um, and I so. think insecurity helps. Like I, uh, I did an essay, recorded an audio essay about self-doubt. And I feel like in a way, being super doubtful of my work helps because if I was just super arrogant, I would have created something that's really crappy, put it out there, and people would have been like, okay, I guess it's okay. You know, and I would never right. have gotten to this point because I never would have been like, dude, can you just read this for me? Like, bother all my friends <laughs> to try to see, like, what's working and what isn't working. Because mm-hmm. I always doubt what is working and what's not. Like, because I know, I know what I'm trying to do, but you're so in your own work. Like, you're probably so in your own film that you have all these ideas and you have knowledge that obviously an audience member doesn't have, but you forget that in the moment. No, exactly. Nothing's more valuable than a pair of fresh eyes, right? Even even like eyes that readers that might not even be familiar with the with the format and whatnot, um, it's valuable to get that range because you know you want it to be to be accessible enough. I mean, it depends on what you're trying to make. If you don't give a yeah. shit about you yeah. know the lay the lay person, if they're not exactly a cinephile, then okay, sure, that's your prerogative. But I ideally would, especially with early projects, want to make. Um, films that appeal on a wider scale at least i think you have to to be honest man i I think you have to have the way i've been noticing it is that you have to have an incredibly unique style but one that is not so unique that it's visionary when you start off because if it's too visionary then like it doesn't get that virality and stuff like that and you can't build an audience enough to prove to you know producers and stuff like that that you that you can make a movie that's worth you know getting that's gonna fill seats because i think these days like it's all about like your ability to fill seats like even fucking there's so much competition content out there that even like producers and like big shots are like okay well do you have someone behind you and like if you're a huge self-help guru that you're gonna easily get green lighted because it's like even if it's a crappy movie you're gonna get like half a million people to watch it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so which i don't know if that's fortunate or unfortunate but I feel like that's more the the way of the world these days. The good content doesn't necessarily rise to the top. No, exactly. I feel like where the virality um, sort of principle goes awry is is in YouTube. Um, I visited the YouTube studios over LA. Um, Are you original? I mean, are you uh, familiar with the YouTube originals and YouTube Red and whatnot? Yeah, yeah. Um, What what are your thoughts on the kind of content they're putting out there? Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's working. Yeah, I mean, the very that's the, very, the, that's the yeah. nicest way of putting it. I guess. Yeah, the very model itself, the the idea of like people who are who are used to a free service, and all of a sudden they yes and the pay for what is like slightly more premium content is sort of absurd already. Yeah, 
but oh man like when i was visiting that studio um and i talked to like some pretty big people there and and it's just um they had someone who i think was the head of youtube i'm looking it up actually uh youtube studios um and i think she was part of lifetime network um what was oh god damn it It wasn't lifetime it was uh well uh, one of the like financial heads producing heads of, of um youtube right now um, I, I might be like chief creative content person, um, used to do work on either like a network such as Lifetime Network or MTV or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, MTV would make sense cause it's verging on a very much skewing towards a younger demographic, but, right. um, talking about how they, it's just, they're taking already established YouTube people, um, and, and further inflating their sort of budgets and production value. Right. Right. And then when you think about, okay, who are the most successful YouTubers right now? we got, like, what, PewDiePie, um, Wong Fu, for instance. Uh, no, not to knock on Wong Fu. I think, I think they make, like, in terms of production value and, and I think, polish uh, very watchable films. Um, and, and, you know, when I was younger, it definitely struck a chord, their content. But as, as, as a whole, it seems some of the most populist, uh, <laughs> populist skewing kind of content I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, very accessible, very dumbed down, and not even, I don't know, it's... I agree, dude. I agree totally. Oh, it's a sort of content, yeah, like, that's sort of, is it, it, supposed to cater, I mean, BuzzFeed is a good example of that, too, right? That's catering to such a large mass of people that it loses any sense of, of, of any spark of creativity or any, any sense yeah. of edge to it. Um, and it does seem dumb <laughs> i don't know like without trying to sound too pretentious in any way which i, I you know also let me know if i do uh, i i that's never my intention well I, I don't think i don't think that's pretend that's pretentious necessarily but i think i mean we could probably talk about this forever but i think it's a problem of a later stage company or a later stage person right when they're big enough to make those calls um, I think that's that's when it matters. But the problem for me has always been like, let's say, t- t- do you know who Tim Ferriss is? I don't. No. He's like this big. It's kind of, for, I kind of took many of his ideas for a podcast, and and um, I like his ideas a lot. So um, I took from him and a bunch of other people to make this and make this um, brand and stuff like that. But basically, he, what he is is he's this huge guy. He's like. There's something called the Tim Ferriss effect, which is kind of like what the Oprah effect used to be, mm-hmm. is that if he like says, like, um, Embrace Your Lazy is a great podcast, I'll get a shit ton of people coming to my podcast, like, my servers will be down, like, that he has that much power. Wow. But the problem is, if you have that big of an audience, you have to always, and it's very fascinating, because you always have to cater to that audience. So you have to figure out ways, he has to figure out ways of pushing the boundary, still making something that's really unique and creative and the things that are in the beginning got him where he is, but mm-hmm. at the same time, not alienating too many people. And I think that's a super, like that's a surprisingly hard balance, right? Like for, right. for Buzzfeed or for Wong Fu, like I think the same thing, they just, you know, they were good in the beginning. I think in the beginning, Wong Fu made stuff that was actually different than right. other people it wasn't super different but like their take on it and the asian american take and all those things were very unique at the time when you and me watched it which mm-hmm. is why we you know related to it but it worked so they kept on doing it and the problem is if you do that too much you start to get the people who aren't a fan of your experimentation they're a fan of just that same content over and over again That's exactly 
so it's i mean it's it's always tough they always say that about artists right like i wish kanye made uh the music like his first three albums but like in a way you can't really expect him to like he shouldn't like i wouldn't like him if he kept stayed stagnant oh yeah he's he's i mean remained interesting this entire time because he's been so i mean so fucking wild really yeah he's been incredibly controversial he's a crazy uh, guy yeah and i i mean i love kanye and i mean, I mean what's been consistent is is i think what still makes his art great within like it's just great production value like he, he's his production is just off the off the chain already right yeah. um i'm just a spectacular producer yeah i'm just i'm looking at his youtube original movies i just oh, i look at the posters and i just think like this is hold on what what is it called what is it called? oh they let's see what movies are they like there's the, a, the thinning is which just looks like any other young adult it's just oh the thinning <laughs> it's just what youtube does which is great, I think, is like a liberation of the artists. Like, you don't have to answer to anybody. You know, we're going to give you right. a bunch of money. We're going to give you all the studios to make anything you want. But I, I want them to be doing that to other people, <laughs> for yeah. other people, you know. And and that, that's sort of a really main thing to say because I think these people work very hard. Um, they deserve all the success they're getting, I think. Because, I mean, of course, they found that audience and that's, that audience is supporting them, right? Yeah, and if they so. get the views, you know, you can't really complain but i i understand where you're coming from i really yeah. do i think um it's one of those i mean the good thing though is these days you know i was watching um a documentary on netflix and you know in the past there used to be only three networks for television and if you created a show everybody was watching because there was nothing else you know there's no uh there was only books and tv like those are two things you did and who like you know nobody reads books so everybody was watching tv <laughs> Unfortunately, nobody. I love books, but you know most people don't read books, so they wa all, like were watching the same shows. They so they had to basically make the show so kind of cliche and boiled down and populist that like it didn't really mean much. But the yeah. cool thing now is that we have like all the gatekeepers are gone. So if you create a set of content that is like really really unique, and only let's say and this only like 2,000 people like it. Like granted for for me, that's a lot of people, 2,000 people liking my content. But in the grand that's scheme nice, of yeah. things, that's nothing, right? Yeah, yeah. But even if 2,000, 3,000 people liked it, you can like get a lot, you can actually probably make a living if you're smart enough in terms of your business model with that content, which is like super cool and super amazing. It could be that niche and it could still work. Right, right. So, I mean- yeah. I'm just speaking for a matter of like a different kind of taste, you know, um, and I, I'm, I'm very happy for, I mean like that, that kind of segment is thriving because it, by principle, it is allowing for, um, no names to just pop up and make the, make what they want to do, like, make what they want to make. Sorry. And, uh, succeed. And that's, that's really like kind of the advantage of, of living in this kind of world these days. That's the American dream. Yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like when I've, when I'm like trying to figure out um, how to make all these things work, like I, the first thing I want to do is definitely definitely build an audience because I think that's probably the most important precursor to yeah. creating the type of things I want. So that's um, important. I interviewed a guy who uh, worked with Nick Cannon. And, oh do you wow! Know Nick Cannon, he's like yeah. Wait, yeah. Mariah Carey's uh, husband, right? Yeah. So he has like yeah. a bunch of different things. He directed his first movie and my friend 
basically it was a Hollywood story. Like he um, saw my friend and my friend was just like dancing on the streets of LA trying to like get ready for this role. So he was literally just like getting ready for the role, getting all in, playing music super loud and just like going crazy for whatever that role was. But so Nick Cannon just like drove up right next to him and said, hey, do you want to be in my movie? Oh and my, my friend, God. my friend was like, I don't Hell know this yeah. guy. He was like, sure. <laughs> like, he's like, sure. I'll take your card. He's like, I thought this guy was like some student filmmaker, some MFA student, something like that. He looks him up. He's like, this Nick Cannon. Like, this guy's huge. So, <laughs> but what Nick Cannon apparently taught him, the the biggest lesson he taught him is that your audience these days is hugely important, and it's not enough to create good content because if you're creating good content to no one that's not useful. So I think it's, I think it's a little bit unfortunate, but I think marketing is incredibly marketing and your business model is incredibly important. Oh yeah. Definitely. Uh, part of creating your art these days. Like that's just something you need to know, which is, I guess your consulting and stuff like that will be helpful. Um, I, I hope so. <laughs> then, oh Jesus. Hopefully you get like an inside scoop into how, uh, how these things work. Yeah. And I did work at an ad, ad agency for a summer. Um, oh nice oh so, i didn't know that yeah no uh, that was uh, my summer internship uh this past summer so oh that's awesome mm, yeah no, why, definitely, why an ad agency uh i well it was a mix of the creative and sort of the statistics i mean um i i did a lot of psychology research which um was more statistic less creative i'd say mm. um the creativity came into um sort of how you thought about concepts and how you want to test for them but um i wanted to get into the copywriting and how to conceive of sort of marketing campaigns and and their sort of forward drive like what you're going to appeal to in an audience what kind of insights you're going to use so i worked from a strategy um on a strategy team which is basically like an in-house consultant for a um advertising firm and so what they do is sort of take a project from the beginning to the end um i mean i'm not actually writing explicit copywriting uh or or designing the specific um sort of like uh, what is it? The poster board or, or, or um, TV ad? You know that that's that's left to the creatives. But um, as a strategist, I'm doing the research required to figure out what insights we're going to hone in on. For instance, what kind of who is our audience? Uh, what's going to appeal to them most? What kind of what type of tone should we take for their message? And then sort of relay that to the creatives to um, eventually create that message itself. Um, but direct it. So it's basically a conceptual um, strategist for an advertising campaign. And Dude, that's, long that's super interesting. That's like um, what? That's like one of my new things that I'm looking into. Because like, like I, you probably guessed, I've been really into kind of marketing or copywriting and ads and stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. I really want to figure out how I can take anybody. Like, let's say I really like your films, Richard, and I want to, I want to be able to be the type of person who could be a marketing consultant and take your work and from maybe 100 200 300 people watching it to a couple thousand like how do you take that you know how, how do you make that leap because i think the first hundred is not that hard right the first hundred yeah. or 200 it's like it's kind family. of friends and friends network yeah. <laughs> and family and all that stuff but that that second bump is hard because once you make like i don't know a certain number four or five K there's a different, you're in different league because you have a different sort of momentum and different type of audience base that you can, you know, build on that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's just really interesting to me because obviously eventually like, you know, like, like I keep saying, I want to make movies and write books and stuff like that. So I need to know how to actually um, get eyeballs. 
So oh, that's definitely. that's really cool. What, if you had to like give like a couple, that's probably a hard question. But if you had to give a couple takeaways from what you learned that summer, like what would those takeaways be? Uh, so. I think it's interesting because um, there are some frameworks that, you know, often are tacky, used in a lot of business settings, a lot of corporate settings, uh, whatever office you might end up working in if you if you choose, ever so choose. Um, there'll be some frameworks that, like, the company will try to instill upon you that you got to think about it in terms of A, B, and C. Um, but the most important thing, I think, is to whenever a client or, or whoever comes up to you presents you with a challenge or a problem that they want to solve, which is at the, the, the core of consulting, right? And in this case, it was um, a client that was a head of a sports, the governing body for a sport at you know, USA uh, fr- like Ultimate Frisbee. Um, they had a sort of popularity issue, right? And so we were going to solve that problem for them, right? Or in any way we could. And it was to really never forget what, number one, what the core challenge was, because sometimes you might go end up doing a bunch of research and end up forgetting what kind of problem you're actually going to solve, you know? Mm. And then that, that could actually is seen in a small scale when you're in a consulting interview, you're doing a case interview and you answer, you end up, you spend a bunch of time answering, asking questions and end up forgetting what the question was asked. So you end up answering the wrong question. You fail the consulting interview, right? Right. Because um, you, you never want to end up doing a bunch of work. And putting, putting together a solution that ends up solving the wrong question. Uh, two, it's making sure that there's a logical sort of breadcrumb shell between whatever insights you come up in your research. For instance, um, this idea that through our research, we found that people were actually afraid of throwing a, a Frisbee. Uh, because, you know, it, it's sort of an intuitive idea. But... The, there are quantifiable facts, I mean, quantifiable numbers to back up the idea that uh, more people are familiar with throwing a ball and not throwing a frisbee, right? So um, there needs to be a clear breadcrumb show between that and the sort of actions you want to take from the inside, right? And that action could be, for instance, then we should instill a program that um, familiarizes more people with the frisbee at the park on every Sunday. That's just a bad example, but that's an example of how to best solve that problem through this insight you just had, right? Um, so it won't make any sense if, say, I said like, oh, what if um, we just put more pictures of frisbees around so people will become more familiar with the frisbee? Um, and that actually isn't solving our problem because the the initial insight was that um, people were afraid of throwing the frisbee. They didn't feel confident enough in their ability. Not that they were unfamiliar with the image of the frisbee. So the solution did not actually solve the problem. It was not actually in line with the insight you just came up with. So um, to sum up the first two points I was trying to make, sorry, that was very long-winded. One, never lose sight of the challenge you're answering. And two, make sure that there's a very clear breadcrumb trail between your insight and your solution. Because when you're thinking of everything in your creative process, that tends to get lost in the mix. Um, and that was just, that was all like inscribed in like a business framework kind of thing. And just having those frameworks out there and putting them in labels seems kind of like excessive, but it actually helps you organize your thoughts when you're so, um, your mind's all bulked up by everything else. So, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And I think a lot of, artists or creative people have an aversion to numbers but i'm sure that you know part of your work or part of what happens at this ad agency is there are a lot of metrics and quantifiable things that go into testing these things right like testing whether or not this um insight the action you took based on the insight 
was actually useful like did it did it help like did you know those sorts of things i think you know are surprisingly important like uh as a maybe i'm tooting my own horn but like as a stats major i've you know or a stats minor i've realized those things are really important oh for sure yeah and like um whenever any campaign is put into place there the website metrics are, are very important because they, they do teach you uh, what worked and what didn't right and then that's um that that's why big data has been such a huge thing in, in every field really so you're, you have very remarkable skills there <laughs> yeah i mean hopefully like you know that's the the goal is to have have a good job and then slowly transition into um learning more and more things Mm-hmm. So how, how have the uh, stats been on the on the podcast and everything? Like, what, what kind of viewership are we seeing? So basically, this is kind of like what I'm doing is I'm recording all these interviews and recording all the audio essays, and then I'm gonna do release them three at a time each week. So nice. I actually haven't. There is no podcast up on iTunes or anything like that yet. Um, I kind of want to do a Netflix style of things, um, and I've been kind of trying to as much as possible get. Uh, feedback mostly mostly on the audio essays but get feedback so it's not like i'm releasing eight eight to ten weeks of things that aren't going to be useful to people right no it's a no it's like it's a, like a season kind of thing right like you're yeah. you're off season now you're building everything and one season comes in it's got scheduled like a, like a nice tiered release that's nice exactly yeah and like one of my it's and like i said it's kind of like this embrace your lazy thing is kind of like a boot camp for exploring all the things that have been issues or problems um in terms of motivating myself or creating habits that are important or you know executing like this w- the biggest thing that helped was i actually started executing on stuff um after kind of teaching my myself this type of stuff so um uh, one of the things that i always say is you got to do things wherein doing the thing intrinsically is incredibly rewarding to you mm-hmm. and there are many rewarding points things you can get rewards from that doesn't have to do necessarily with the success of the metrics obviously the end goal is always you know get this to as many ears as you can um, have people really enjoy the content right because i really want to produce something that people are going to say hey this was really useful like thanks for creating this like that's the end goal um but at the end of the day even if nobody listens to it like i you know all these conversations are a lot of fun i get to learn from all these people and my writing's gotten better my interviewing skills have gotten better so it's there's a lot there that isn't necessarily dependent on a lot of people listening to it i don't know for sure i can totally see that and so it's called embrace your lazy because um is it more because you want people to find this, they come across something called Embrace Your Lazy, and it's supposed to be the content they find can help them too, and and their sort of um, like creative process. They they, they want to you know become motivated or inspired to find ways to help them with the process. Is that sort of what this part? Yeah. For? So basically, what Embrace Your Lazy is is um, the genesis for it was I honestly just realized that I'm not a hardworking person, <laughs> so I should <laughs> give up on the. I should give up on the idea that hard work by itself solves everything. Um, and what I mean by that is it's somewhat of a kind of nuanced definition of what lazy means. But basically the point was I should create systems that guarantee my success. I should embrace the fact that I'm not my new year, my Jan first self. I'm not the person who's going to be incredibly motivated to, you know, create a podcast or write a book in the next couple months. I have to realize that there are going to be days that suck. 
the fact that I'm a human person who's not perfect, that I am very lazy, that human beings in general is lazy. So how do you create systems that can get you to your perfect self without exerting a lot of willpower and hard work? And if you truly do the things that are intrinsically rewarding to you and create the systems that make those dreams a reality, then it won't feel like work it'll feel like you're being lazy. And just like in a mm-hmm. similar way, like creating this podcast, there's no doubt in a way, it's a lot of hard work, but I'm enjoying the experience so much. And like, I've, you know, put it, I've made it such a habit that if I don't do it one day, I feel like I'm missing out on something. It's like when you haven't brushed your teeth at night, like that's how I kind of feel when I haven't written for a day. So that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm doing. And then these interviews are probing people that I think are going to be successful in 10 to 15 years and trying to get them on the cusp of success because they're closer to the ground, right? They can talk about how they got their first 100 viewers or how they made their first short film or how they wrote their first book rather than when you're just really successful and multi, multi-millionaire, billionaire or create 20 films. You don't remember what it was like creating that first one. And for me and for other people, I feel like there's no content out there that helps you make that first movie. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. all the books are from experts, which makes sense. But also, I think the people I'm going to be interviewing are going to be experts in 15 years. So this is very valuable advice. And it's kind of nice to hear other people um, going through the same struggles you are, too. There's like a little bit of solidarity in that because it looks from 20 years in the future when you see someone like Martin Scorsese, for example, you just feel like, okay, like, you know, the guy always had it. But you never know. Like, you know, when he was 20, maybe he was going through the same struggles and self-doubt and trying to figure out how he can create systems that make him create movies. You know, you never know that. So, yeah. I mean, someone was telling me Martin Scorsese was like watching like four or five movies a day or something like that at one point. Like, I can one, believe that. Yeah, no, <laughs> I can definitely believe that. But no, I, I, I love that. I love that explanation of, I mean, Embrace Your Lazy makes a lot more sense to me now. And um, I think that's a definitely a good perspective to view um, sort of how to achieve your goals without actually, I mean, it, it's again, like putting your energy in the right place. Right. Uh, yeah. So, right. like and that. I, like I said, like it's, it's been so, it's like literally been so useful to me, even like these podcasts, like it's crazy how you are friends with these. I mean, I don't know if this happens in your life. Like there's, I have a couple friends who have like incredibly deep talks with no, almost everything about their life but then the other people like i'm pretty good friends with but there's so many things that you don't know about them and like on this podcast i like to get like kind of nerdy like that's kind of like what i do so i'll ask like i asked about your ad agency and you know i'm going to ask about your films if david doesn't get here in the next like one minute or two i'm just going to start but ask about like how you started and like those sorts of things are things that i feel like without a podcast here i like I don't know. It's like kind of, for me at least, it's a little weird sometimes to ask the people who are like, you're kind of friends with these yeah. types of questions. But like, I can just, I can ask, like, I just met you, you know, I've only talked to you once, but like, I can ask you these questions because I have a podcast. Yeah, so like, formal that setting. Authority. It's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Although I feel like you and me would probably have this sort of discussion regardless, but. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. But we just had, lot, we just had a kind of short dirty. last time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, you know, it's just like, it's just nice to get a little, like, I don't know. I feel like it's always like, I don't know. It's very. Uh, it's it's just nice for me to get super nerdy. Like, why why do you like Lint Laker? Like, what about that? Like, I don't know. You know, I'm gonna have to test it with audiences to see if that's interesting to them. But that's the sort of question that's like really interesting to me. That maybe I wouldn't ask like a casual friend. I think basically, you know, I know. Well, 
this is what I believe. Both of you at one point wanted to pursue like being a doctor or like going to med uh, school. Disgusting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why? So why? Like, what was kind of like the the first? Why did you want to do that in the first place? Like, was it something you were like super into, super passionate about, and then you just decided that? Um, you know, that's not what you're actually passionate about. Was it kind of like for external reasons, you know, like, cause it like state stability or whatever. Like, why did you decide to pursue that in the first place? So, so start with you, David. Yeah. Richard. Yeah. You can start with you. Uh, let's see here. Well, I definitely always liked medicine, but I think later on I realized that I don't really like people that much <laughs> enough yeah. to like sacrifice my own. It's like that medical paradox where you take care of someone so much that you can't take care of yourself, you know? And I realized I want... I only take care of myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look out for number one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, I don't know, like, med school is just, uh, the medical life is just such a, so much sacrifices, you know? I realized that I wanted to be able to do other things that I enjoy. Hence, this is where films started uh, creeping my, its way into my life. All right, I guess for, uh, then for you, David, what kind, what was, like, the, the inflection point? Like, what, what made you think, like, oh, I want to make... You know, I want to make movies or whatever you want to do. I don't know. I don't know where what you want to pursue, but it, I'm assuming it's making short films and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I guess I should start back around to my movie. Uh, I guess interests. Like growing up, I always had pretty uh, strict parents, so I wouldn't go outside very much. But uh, so if I didn't, but I always wanted to travel. And it, it sounds weird, but like movies were like an outlet for me to travel, like to see the world, to see people, almost. You know, the, the movies are a great way for me to like see stories. And that was sort of my medium of entertainment growing up. And then uh, Rich- Richard definitely helped cement that into a passion. You know, so thank Hell you. Oh, yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, dude. Hell yeah. So you got to experience worlds. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like that's why I got really into books um, and movies as well. Because, like, it's just you got to explore, like, different things that would never exist, you know, in real life. Like, it's kind of cool. Yeah. But so then, I've always, and then for me to stay involved in filming, I, I, this is why I think I wanted to get into short films or become a movie reviewer. You know, sort of stay, invo- stay involved. Yeah. yeah, yeah, to pursue that. How about you, Richard? Like, why did you want to um, pursue med school initially? And then, w- you know, what was the genesis for you moving away from that? That's a funny thing. I remember, David, uh, when we were both in the middle of that grind, when we were in the middle of it, you, it, it seems to us like, of course, there's no, this, this seems like the best idea. Of course, like, I wouldn't be doing anything else. If not, like, medicine sounds like a great idea. I mean, I was in high school. My parents were like, yeah, you should try that out. That's a good idea. And it pleased them. And, and that pleased me, pleasing them. Um, and, I, you know, I grew up in what? like we, we both grew up in the suburbs. And so it wasn't much of a diverse... It was its own little echo chamber. And um, we grew up amongst many retired people, people who, who, who settled down. And they were all doctors, lawyers, whatnot. And that's sort of also wh- whoever our parents ran into. So that was just sort of instilled in our culture. Right, like the three good jobs were, were, were those I just mentioned, and oh, yeah. um, <laughs> and like yeah, literally, true yeah, for me as well, yeah, right, like like my mom and dad, are, are both are, I, I should stop saying my mom, our moms and dads, they, uh, at the nail salons, they're painting their nails, uh, people's nails, and they're all doctors, lawyers, people with doctors or lawyer relatives slash um, daughters, husbands, wives, and whatnot, and, and so they sort of have this very skewed. Um, perception that these are the only good jobs out there um, or viable jobs and so um, of course I was also conditioned in, in that setting and I grew up thinking of course like doctor medicine of my available options out there that seems the most sensible because I want to help people um, 
that that should be the ultimate goal of whatever I want to do. I want to help someone reach out to them, connect with them. And uh, it wasn't until later when I realized that there's so much, so many more ways you can do that. Um, medicine is one way to do it. Uh, you know, it, it's it's healing, but you could do that emotionally. You can do that in, in so many other kind of implicit ways that that is never, well, not like actually financially valued. It's <laughs> yeah. also yeah. tragic, right? But um, so I, I sort of pivoted away from that um, when it was like junior year of college. Um, when, when after I took basically all my requirements, I was in the middle of Orgo and my roommate just it sits me down. I, we're eating at the dining hall. And he's just like, he looks at me and I'm tired. You know, I just got out of my fucking midterm probably. And he's like, dude, man, why are you pre-med? You know, and uh, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, dude, like I want to help people and shit. You know, like that's <laughs> sure. But like as I was answering him, I, I wasn't I, I wasn't sure. I, I wasn't sure, you know, and the, the, there's that uncertainty and there's like the doubting yourself. And I think, I think it's important. Um, I mean, it's important to have friends that support you no matter what, but having that presence, especially in a place, uh, liberal arts um, education where there's so many other options, um, stuff that questions you over time, continually it, having, having that kind of um, either, um, crap what is it I'm bad with words right now blah but just having that dissenting opinion um, to often to continually question you make you question your own path I think is very healthy because it will either um, it will always I think it will always help you you know so and that that's why I sort of because I wasn't sure I, I started to uh, really think hard, long and hard about it and I looked into I started to realize that I, it's because I was more passionate about everything else uh, everything else literally I was getting involved in I was getting involved in the film and another example I'll give you guys um, <laughs> it's funny I did I did recruiting for consulting last semester you guys know that right yeah um, and I got rejected a lot and that was I chalked it up to like well I did I didn't do the best in terms of the quantitative end because I tend to get a math class since freshman year. Um, and so there's a lot of mental math I had to do and I wasn't as fast as other people. Um, but literally during one of my rejection calls, um, I connected with literally, actually I, I had two people who, who called me personally to reject me and they're very nice people. Who we, we, we did a great conversation. And one of them said that like, I, I love, I love how you're like, you're passionate about film and Hollywood and I got to say, man, that's just like consulting is just not the fastest way to go about that. And like, you should <laughs> totally just do Hollywood. And I mean, he was basically telling me that like he was like part of the reason, at least. Yeah, definitely part of the reason why they rejected me is because like I just should do something else that I was more passionate about. And another guy, I don't even know why the fuck I was interviewing for this fucking stupid medicine consulting. It was like a med- medical device for like kidney disease company. And he just said, all he said was that, hey, you're fucking talented. I mean, yeah, you're fucking talented. You're great. You're awesome. You're cool. But when you started talking about film, you lit up like a fucking Christmas tree. That's what he told me. <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, I, I know. But, like, can I get the offer still? <laughs> um, I mean, like, I know. And he's like, and it's just, and he's just telling me, yeah, you should totally just fucking do that, you know? And I could just, I could just tell. I could, he's, he just said, I could just tell from the look in your eyes, the way you lit up. Um, and so it's just that continual sort of barrage of information I was perpetually, I just ignoring all four years that I should do this. 
sort of helped. Eventually, I caved in and I was like, okay, maybe I should try this out and I should pursue it a little bit. Wait, so, are you still hedging your bets? Are you are you still doing a, a consulting job or are you just going straight into writing and stuff like that? I, I, I'm torn right now because I, I have signed on to a job okay. uh, for the fall. Um, but with my experience in LA uh, the past month, everyone's just been telling me you should just jump on in. Now is a good time because I've, I've, been ma- I've made the connections, but that could just... They could disappear. They could do something else. They could be in different circumstances. So they won't be able to help me as much as they can now. So that's, wow, that was a long story. But that's, yeah, that's sort of been my trajectory. And how, how did you get this uh, this internship that you were just talking about? Like, you know, what was the what was the process for getting that? And how did you make those connections? Uh, oh, the internship uh, last last month? Yeah. Uh, it was part of a program called Harvard Wood. It was an alumni program for harvard alums who are working in the media entertainment industry uh, particularly in heart um, hollywood um, but they have like branches everywhere but um they have a program every year where they just immerse a bunch of students into the industry um plant them inside um different companies such as interscope um i worked in a writer's room um and yeah basically give them a nice orientation of what the hell's going on um how do you succeed how do you get a job and um how to stay in it and scare off people who never who feel like they want to make money because that's you know there are better ways to make money but um really draw the people who would be interested in creative stuff or i mean even the business side of things producing is is nice but yeah that's that's pretty cool um so this is uh this is for david again um i'm just curious as to like what types of things do you like want to make like in terms of short films like what types of uh, short films draw you in like what types of things in the future do you want to make um, you know I'm still trying to because sc- I haven't written anything I haven't produced anything like specific as a movie just yet so I'm definitely trying to find my own path as a filmmaker myself but you know some inspirations definitely include like uh, definitely uh, Wong Fu Productions and some BuzzFeed videos yeah. those are definitely two uh, great sources that's what Richard was trashing on let's <laughs> 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 I, I, I can see why I can see how no, Wong Fu can be the, some of their material definitely isn't as great as it used to be, but uh, you know they got some great stuff, and they started out with a very small foundation. You know, just three guys who graduated yeah. from UCSD didn't know what they didn't know what they wanted to do with their life, but they love movies, so they just started filming stuff. Yeah, it's and an then, inspiring story for yeah, sure. It's pretty cool. And then yeah. look where they are now. So yeah, it's yeah, and they they've actually made stuff, which is like very admirable. Like it's just like they've made it. They made a feature film that was like in the theater, I think, and it's on Netflix, which is like it's incredible. They have a good story. I think. The first step is just, to be honest, like, uh, the first step is just making anything. And the thing that you make is almost certainly going to be shitty. But in making that, you learn so much that your next one is slightly less shitty. And then eventually you keep going on. And one day you're like, hey, this wasn't bad. Like, this is actually pretty okay. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I think that's, I don't know. Like, that's at least my experience. Like, that's that's how it goes. Hey, Richard, I'm going to tell Pranav about my Snapchat movie. (laughs) Oh, good God. (laughs) (laughs) What was your your Snapchat movie? uh, should I tell you now or should I tell you like another time? I can just edit it out if you don't yeah. want it in the podcast. No, it, it, it doesn't matter for me. Oh, okay, yeah. Just What's imagine, the movie? just imagine like a romance through the medium of, medium of like Snapchat, like literally a shitload of ten second clips strung together in a compilation. That oh, that's makes it seem that's like awesome. a rom com. Yeah, you should he, do that. He, he was inspired by the new, a new world or the new world. Oh yeah. Oh, you should do that. There was I had a I. Um, I think this was like in ninth or 10th grade. I have like a list of ideas. Um, so one of my list of ideas is very similar to that, but I don't think Snapchat existed. 
it was uh kind of it was inspired by pulp fiction it was taking 10 second scenes like different lengths of scenes yeah. what i was envisioning like some three second scenes some 10 second scenes some one minute scenes and then jumbling it up together like a puzzle is that a movie? but clear enough <laughs> is that, that a movie <laughs> yeah but, but <laughs> clear enough that the story shows Wait, so now you're making a movie. Yeah, yeah. the movie is just which, a series of it's, clips. It, which would be a movie. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It was an Wait idea a for a, a movie for is a, a series film. of clips. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, but basically the the difference between that would be it isn't in sequential order at all. Um, the clips would be like super. Like it wouldn't be a reverse shot conversation. Like it would be a shot of a conversation and something completely different than that. And maybe the second part of the conversation would show up later. And the difficult part of that would be threading it together thematically in such a way that would produce something poignant and not something jumbled. Like that, that was kind of what I was envisioning. Um, but yours is, I think, a better idea to start off with because it's much more linear. You were thinking like a chat. goodbye language kind of format, right? Kind oh, of like, yeah. Goodbye yeah. to language. I've never, I've never, <laughs> is that a movie? I've never actually. Yeah. It's an essay film by uh, Jean-Luc Godard that uh, huh. David and I watched. In 3D, fun fact. I should watch that. The way it should um, be seen. But yeah, so so, getting I guess we can probably go on a <laughs> different tangents. Uh, that's just just classic us. Um, but the the things that I the thing that I wanted to ask you, you know, before um, we ramble a little bit more is uh, this is obviously you know a, a sort of difficult question because in many ways you are also Richard getting your start. But for people who, like me and David, and um, like probably some of the people listening, want to make short films, what are the like, baby steps you'd recommend? Are there any books or any movies or anything you did to practice that like, really helped you? Because you've created a short film. Like, and, and like we said, it may not be amazing because you know, nobody's first film is amazing, but you created mm-hmm. something that is a huge step forward more than most people who just dream of making it. So do you have any tips or advice for, for people like me and David? I mean, I kind of cheated because, of course, I, um, I, took it through, I did it through a class. So right. there was like an assignment. I had deadlines, right? But, uh, of course, imposing upon yourself a deadline will help you with anything if, if it has drastic enough consequences, right? Uh, <laughs> so, like, say, like, maybe if you have a girlfriend, maybe she'll withhold sex from you until you make a short film. Oh, God. <laughs> I'll make a short film tomorrow, you know? Like, <laughs> I'll make it yeah. immediately. Uh, that kind of thing. But uh, baby steps, right? Well, for the longest time, up to, up to the point where I did finish, make and finish the short film, I, I did a lot of what I justified to myself was research. Um, by research, I mean just I watch a shitload of movies. And besides just watching it, watching it actively, watching it uh, with intention. Um, and I did that, you know, I did, I've done that, I mean, technically I've been doing that for like, what, 20, 20 years, uh, <laughs> watching movies. Um, but but, but if, you, if you want to first make something, for instance, if it's a short film, um, you, you really need to start with, with some idea that you're passionate about, right? Um, and expanding upon that. So... If lately you've been perplexed by, um, I don't know, the the idea of socioeconomic status and in a city, um, and you want to highlight that, then okay, like how do I explore that, um, or, or what what about that fascinates me? You know, it's like well, it's the people. Okay, if it's the people, then um, well, how do I best highlight that in, in, in the people? Like, what about what what about the people living in low SES? Um, conditions um, I have, do I find interesting or poignant? 
and well it, it's it's them living you know w- without any w- those have been fucked over by the government who are living in the streets so and i know several of them and personally so i might go interview them i might go talk to them uh get their stories talk to them and whatnot and um that'll cascade of course down down a, a long path until you reach a story uh some story that you find fascinating that you want to adapt that you want to write about so then you'll write it right write it on paper because writing is a probably the easiest thing ever you can do it on anything if you have like a, a word processor um you can get celtics free screenwriting software on on on, on the internet there um and then once you get the story together have people read it and whatnot sorry well i'm not i don't actually i shouldn't launch into the whole entire process from beginning to end um <laughs> but uh to, to retrace back to baby steps it's it's the concepting i think that uh people people get really easily started on and falter on because uh, how do you how do you jump from the concept to the execution right um and and that is that's where the practical um issues lie because you know we all have jobs um we we're all trying to do other practical things to try to survive in, in this world and that does require a commitment and it's a sacrifice to the free time we all have and everybody has free time you know people people act like they don't um, but it's always filled up by fucking Netflix or some shit like that. And there comes a point when, of course, you know, of all the time I spent researching, all the free time I spent researching and watching movies, I just stopped watching movies for a little bit to instead, in you know, invest that time into making my film. Um, and that would be hours after work, uh, work in which uh, times in like late nights, uh, wherever my crew could get together to actually make a movie. And that could be with anything. Um, I bought a kit for, uh, uh, DSLR, um, which was a T, you know, Canon Rebel T5i, um, not too crazy, not too good, but, um, it's, it's, it's manageable, right? Um, save enough money to get that. And I mean, people can do movies on iPhones, like a Tangerine, which is brilliant. Um, but really anyone can make a movie David and David Snapchat movie, David movie. can be done anyways. So sorry if, if I'm not actually answering a question here, um, I'm, I've just been rambling on it's, it's, it's really hard to answer that. Uh, such I a, mean, I mean, that definitely makes sense, but uh, I think, you know, and this is not something I would think you'd have an answer to, but I, I think that the problem sometimes is you have a concept, right? That in many ways is kind of cliche but the hard part is telling cliche stories or messages in a non-cliche way like that is truly what is kind of visionary because if you think about all your favorite films you could boil them down to something that's cliche and then people would say like okay that's just a cliche but the way you know the way they were able to tell that was mind-blowing like it's kind of like when Mad Men is Mad, like we talked about Mad Men is a soap opera but the way they execute that is spectacular oh so. immense yeah I mean it's it any any beginning filmmaker should also probably look for I mean every beginning filmmaker imitates a style of some kind yeah right and that's for me so that what was what type of styles do you do you imitate which is it kind of leads into my next question like what type of movies do you like what type of movies did um, through your research you were like okay this is the type of thing that I want to want to emulate Terrence Sorry, go for it. Terrence Malick. Of course, Terrence Malick. Uh, I mean, cinemat- cinematographically, uh, it was very Lubezki, um, at least. Uh, Malick tends to deal with more religion in this film. There's a lot of undertones there and symbolism that I, I... Mine was much more straightforward. It just had the look 
and feel of a Malick film. Didn't have the uh, th- themes of a Malick movie. Right. Um, and so it's interesting because I, I, I'm, I'm divided in half by that because the short films I make are movies I can find plausible to make, things that like are more immediate to my everywhere environments. I live in the city. I live in Boston. So my short films are about um, like low SES life in Boston, it, it, at least attempting to. My, my first film, not necessarily. Uh, but the second one is going you know, to feature like a homeless man. It's going to feature, you know, it's, it's also going to be about dancing, which is like a kind of elevates it to like a higher concept kind of thing. So it's not just a kind of like a, a pity party for the poor, you know. <laughs> um, it, it'll, it'll have something more interesting going on rather than like look and sympathize with these people. That's going to be at the essence of it, but it's how, right? And it's going to be through dance where I show that, hopefully. Um, so the and lenses that you look... I think that's a good point, right? I think for me and David and for other people listening, that's a good point because the lenses in which you look at the things that concern you are interesting. Right? Oh, exactly. if you took a homeless problem for what it is, they may, they may not be something that is immediately interesting and compelling as a story. It may be a good social justice thing, but not something that's very interesting and compelling. But through the kind of lens of dance or these other things that are slightly more unique that leads to um, more well-rounded story. And like in, in a way you can't just have a message. You gotta, you gotta put in a story form, right? Like it has to be like the Trojan horse right. um, for the, for the message. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of TV shows. TV shows are Trojan horses. Breaking Bad is a meth thriller um, that happens to have a very pretty poignant um, sort of, uh, story about I mean like his like an Ozzy Mandius kind of story too like a you know the rise and fall of, of, of like a antihero that kind of thing True. and yeah. um, Mad Men also similarly just a, the disillusionment of the sixties um, kind of put in, packed in the Trojan horse of a glorification of the sixties right <laughs> it's, yeah. it's kind of paradoxical there um, it, but like that that's sort of my short film like visually because I do things that are very uh, manageable um, my actually what I'm Overall, my writing and most interested in, I want to make it in the long term, is probably going to be like very kind of. I'm interested in cultures, um, different cultures, so cultures that I'm a part of, but also cultures that I'm not living in personally, stuff that's different from, from what you see every day, um, and exploring that, right? Like um, my next feature is going to be in Indonesia. Or, or featured in Indonesia. It's going to be about piracy in Indonesia. I'm very excited about that. Um, and that I want to, with my features, I take a much larger scale because, you know, someone else got to worry about the production. Um, and my eventual goal is to write, like, something along the lines of, like, a historical fiction or a period piece. Uh, really different worlds different aesthetics that's that have an impact on the people that are living in it and um i mean i eventually want to make a nice you know people make fun of them all the time but i'm a huge fan of like costume period pieces i love my jane Eyre's. uh fukunaga made an amazing fire rendition of that movie and i want to make my own i, I just i'm really fascinated by different worlds especially like past worlds history i I'm, i was a huge history buff since uh, ever since i was growing up so i love street detective uh, at least season one. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, season two was such, such garbage. Yeah. Oh god. But how about how about you, David? What are you know what are the um, types of movies? I mean, uh, you know that kind of inspire you or that um, you think are styles that you're gonna want to emulate and um, you know kind of kind of quote unquote steal from. Um, since I'm still discovering my style, you know, some of my favorite movies have definitely been David Fincher films like The Social Network. Um, I really love Gone Girl. Love Drew Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. 
some classics, and then Fight Club as well. And uh, in terms of cinematography, I'm really not sure. I mean, to be honest, I'm there's a, I'm still discovering so much right now. All, right. I, all I have to do is just start writing. You're still in the learning, the learning, yeah. researching kind of oh, yeah. process. Yeah. I mean, I feel like David Fincher and the Coen Brothers definitely will have a lot of influence on, influence on what I'm doing for sure. Like, yeah, the Coen Brothers are great because they're a very archetypal standard style, just done so well. Like they, I mean. They're not flashy. I mean, David Fincher has a very precise style. It's also very cold, but but the Coen brothers just just have refined, very classical Hollywood techniques. I mean, the shot their shot reverse shots are, are impeccable, and they they have just the the perfect timing. And then no one would look at the Coen brothers movie and say that's a very distinct style, but uh, it's just very well done. You know, right? So. I mean, they kind of fully represent what we talk about saying cliches in a non-cliche way because and the i think a majority of that comes from a slight undercurrent of like comedy they have like they have such impeccable comedic timing oh, in movies yeah. that are very serious that Dark like comedy, yeah. it's very spe- like it's very spectacular done like you don't even notice the undercurrents of comedy but it like adds to it in a way that like makes you understand the gravity of a situation in a way that, like, you know, kind of a cold director, like, taking in very stark terms, you wouldn't be able to get that same impact. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. So, he's, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're amazing. I love, I love the Coen brothers. Yeah. I mean, my, my biggest inspiration is Linklater, someone who does not have the flashiest style, but his style is non-style, basically. It's just yeah. allowing the moment to unfold and just, just, just immersing yourself in it. And it's, it's moments that, that he, that he just what fucking you, nails. So. Oh. Like David's laughing. No, uh, uh, no, no, because no, uh, I'm really connecting what Richard's saying. It's like, uh, uh, like I feel like no one understands people more than Linklater does. Oh, he he gets people so well, you know. I mean, the writing is also impeccable. Oh yeah. Because um, I would not. I'm gonna be honest. I would not watch Before Sunrise or Before Sunset or um, well, Boyhood was kind of different, but um, most of his movies, if the writing wasn't that well done, like it's really well done, it's really compelling. I mean, the writing is what carries it, too, part of it. Um, but him as a director, working with the actors, making sure it fits his vision, make sure you know it, it looks right. Um, right as these people walking down, it, it helps us put, that, put us in their place. Or right. puts, uh, puts us with them. We just, we're just with these people as they're traveling. It's, it's beautiful. I think in many ways, my first you know, short film that I'm going to make is going to be kind of similar to um, that style because it's... Uh, it, well kind of taking my embrace my lazy thing i want to create like the easiest type of movie first and not create something that's super complicated and oh for sure super yeah. heavy because i feel like i'll just be intimidated and want to give up so if something's like can be simple but well done i think i'm gonna go aim for that initially and then you know build upon that but he's i think in many ways it's very difficult to do what he does but it's also easier to do what he does um for a beginner yeah, definitely. So, definitely. And if you haven't watched Lunchbox, that's also a really good, really, really good movie. Is that is that in India where they send lunchboxes to like yeah. different people? Yeah, it's very Lintlaker. It is like super Lintlaker. But I actually, I actually enjoyed it more than. I guess it's it's close, but I enjoyed it more than Before Sunrise and Before Sunset. I haven't watched Before Midnight yet, but oh wow! Oh, Before Midnight is is my favorite of three. But oh, really? people say Sunset's the like their favorite, but I personally prefer Midnight the most. It's just, it's just the payoff is there. Yeah, it's more real. I've oh, watched, yeah. I've watched like scenes from it, but I've never sat down and watched the whole movie. Dude, like, on YouTube, it's always under my recommended video. <laughs> oh, bro! So I was like, all right, I'll click on this. <laughs> 
We're gonna watch the trilogy together. The whole yeah. trilogy. Dude, it's really good. Um, but yeah, dude, that's why like it, it, kind of what you were saying about the writing, that's kind of why I started with writing. Because it was just like it's so easy to write. All you literally need is a pen piece of paper. Whereas for film, there's so many excuses as to why you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, the DSLR costs on me. Or oh the blah blah blah. You know, like, oh we need a crew. Oh, uh, I need a good actor, blah blah blah. You like there's so many reasons. But for writing, there's no excuse. It's like, dude, you have a pen, you have a piece of paper. Even if you can't own a laptop for whatever reason, like, you could still write shit. Yeah, right. So, like, it's the best way to... I feel like it's a very good way to start. Um, and also editing, like, you know, you Richard kind of was mentioning earlier, um, we were talking about, like, the fact that he doesn't know, you know, obviously he doesn't know um, in his first couple drafts if it's going to be good or not, Yeah. whether it's written or, or films. And I think me, a lot of people have been now reaching out um for me to edit stuff especially like speeches and um you know essays because i've been meeting a lot of those types of people and editing stuff is so helpful like in a way i feel like it's just as helpful if not more helpful than actually writing or creating stuff because learning to see what other people people are really good the mistakes they're making learn you like figure out like oh okay like these are things I got to keep in mind. And that like hugely helps the movie or the essay that you're making. I feel like, I don't know if you've had that experience, Richard, but yeah. Um, I mean, some of the best advice anyone could give you in any city is to write, find writer circles, um, anywhere you can sh- have your work shown, be seen. Um, and you could also like give feedback to other people, see what they're doing, you know, what the landscape in say Washington DC is doing or Boston or San Diego is doing. If you can find a writer circle, I'm sure there's a writer circle community everywhere. People who are coming together to share their screenplays or stories and whatnot. So yeah, I agree. Cool. So we can, we can probably spitball more after this, but, um, for the podcast, David and Richard, David can start. Do you have any last thoughts, um, about the conversation we had or, any words of wisdom for anybody listening? Actually, um, well, I'm gonna let Richard answer this first as I ponder the okay. question. Yeah. Richard, oh, I was going, I was hoping for David to go first because I ponder. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so, all right, so we're just we're both gonna ponder. You can both ponder, and then and then Pranav's just gonna edit out the silence. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Brainstorm. Awesome. Actionable. But, yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for the time. Also, I wanted to tell you, I'm coming. Um, to Boston on Feb twentieth. Get out of here! I'm actually might be shooting around then. Oh so, really? Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Hollywood, here I come. <laughs> I mean, we're always looking for extras, so I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm honestly down to extra. Yeah. To be, I mean, I mean, gonna, crew. We're look, always looking for crew. I'm going for uh, I'm going for my friend's birthday. So awesome. Let's see, when am I when am I going to be there? It's going to be. Yeah, this fucking thing always annoys the shit out of me. Um, I'm gonna be there. Yeah, there we go. See, like, why don't they just have like a nice like put up a cool calendar or something? Like, it just an- always annoys me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be there. Yeah, I'm coming on the 18th, and I'm gonna be there. I'm leaving 21st, so I'll be there for a while. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good to- chunk. That's a good chunk. Okay. Hang out for a little bit. Or yeah, hang out. I, I hang come, the fuck out, dude. I come on set and you know get get a little taste of the magic myself. Hey, wait, oh no! Me? I want to see the action. Yeah, that'll be that'll be sick, dude. What that'll magic? There's no magic here. I've I went on my uh, the the guy I told you about who met Nick Cannon. 
Yeah. Like he he also like hooked me up and I got to like hang out and uh, with Nick Cannon. Not with Nick Cannon. I got to hang out on a on a set though for a little. Oh, bit. that's cool. That's um, real cool. And there was another thing where they were filming a documentary and I was just like chilling there. I was like an actor. There's, it was like I don't think they could even apply to be honest. They like did something <laughs> wrong or something illegal. Like we shouldn't have been filming there. Something of that. Like I don't know what the reason was, but they couldn't submit it in the end. But <laughs> so my Hollywood dreams were averted, unfortunately. Oh, well. I'm just gonna have to settle for Bolly- Bollywood now. Bollywood, there we go. Yeah, Bollywood 2018. Watch out. <laughs> but, but yeah, I'll uh, I'll hit you up. All right, dope. Cool. Thanks for having us. Yeah. All right, Richard. We'll see you soon. See ya, man. Right. Yeah. See you, man. Thanks, right. uh, thanks Have for the time night. again. No, of course. Right. Yeah, man. Right, bye. It went a lot better than I expected, actually. Yeah, it was fun.